See, here we are implored and encouraged to wrestle, to contend. Fix our eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. As the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. Not in your circumstances improving. Not in you moving to the gated community you so want to live in. Not driving that one car with a special hood ornament on it. Not having a certain amount of money in the bank account. Not getting the condo by the beach. Not finally saying, oh, finally, finally, I finally got my sailboat. That's not what the word says. That song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, so beautifully illustrates the word of God when it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and Oh God, I just ask that you would speak in such a powerful way right now. I pray as we dive deep into your word, as we mine the scriptures. Oh God, I pray that we would just write them on the tablet of our hearts. Don't allow us to live in disobedience, but God, I pray from this moment forward that we would live in obedience. God, give us a heart and a mind and a soul that hungers for you, that as the deer pants for the water, I pray that our souls would hunger and long for you. So God, hide me behind the shadows of the cross. God, help me to decrease right now while you infinitely increase. I pray as the word goes forth that we would not see or hear the man who's giving the message, but I pray that we would just fall madly in love with the one, Jesus Christ, who is the message. No, God will be quick to give you all the praise, to give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, the name that's above every name. We pray this in His name and His name only. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Jude. Jude looking at verses 5 through 11 today as we continue our series of battling for the truth, of grappling for the truth, of fighting for the truth, of waging war for the truth because we are in a truth battle today. And yet we know that God's got this. We know that we rest in Him. We know that we submit to Him, that we live for Him, and that when He leads, we follow. Amen? And so here we are diving into these verses of 5 through 11 again and the sermon title today is simply this, don't battle in your own strength. Don't battle in your own strength. If you try to go this road alone, if I try to go this road alone, we will all be decimated. The enemy is too strong for us, but the enemy is not too strong for Jesus. Because Jesus is greater. And so no matter what you're facing, no matter the trial, the heartache, the pain, the grace of God is truly deeper still. And so here in this text today, it simply says this in God's holy written word, Jude 5 through 11. Here's what the word of God says. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Don't miss that. Now look at verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, that's not a website, by the way, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over, don't miss this, to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, 
suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Wow. Look at verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Now look at verse 9. A beautiful shift here in the narrative. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, that's interesting, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now look at verse 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things, they corrupt who? Themselves. Now look at our last verse, verse 11. Woe to them. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Wow, oh wow. Remember our context from the previous message, and that was simply that we must look at verse 3 and 4 and understand the deep biblical truth that there's an admonition that Jude is giving after first looking to write about the common salvation. He says, warning, warning, warning. I got to alert you. Something mission critical is going on. Here's what you must do. You must contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He says, contend for it, don't pretend for it. Don't be a pretender, be a contender for the faith. And then in verse 4, he gave us the why. He gave us the big idea behind all this admonition that he's giving. He gave us the sense of urgency. Why? Because certain men have crept in. These certain men have crept in and they're ungodly men. They turn the grace of God into lewdness. And they deny the only Lord God and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's who these apostates are. We must be on our guard. We must be alert. And again, how will we know what's false out there if we first don't know what's true? we got to be in the Word, and the Word has to be in us, so that when the false things come up in our lives, in our home, at work, even at church, yes, as we go through life and we see the enemy pounding our sails with lie after lie after lie after lie, with falsehood after falsehood, we can quickly spot his deception by going, oh, wait a minute, I know that's false because I've been in the Word and I know what's true. And so as we dive deep into the Word today, and I implore myself, and I implore you, don't battle in your own strength. Don't do it. Resist the temptation. Don't do it. It will be a colossal failure. You will get utterly, utterly destroyed. The carnage will be ugly. The wreckage will be bad in your life if you try to take on the enemy in your own strength. And the enemy will tell you the lie and sell you the bill of goods. Hey, you can take me on. And that's a lie from the pit of hell because he knows if you go in your own strength, you are burnt toast. And so here are verses five through eight as we rip these apart together and see what the word of God says. Word by word, verse by verse. Here it is, verse five. But I want to remind you, I want to recall to mind is what Jude is saying. In other words, they got to hear this again and we got to hear it again. Though you once knew this, past tense, that the Lord having saved, having rescued, having redeemed the people out of the land of Egypt, remember Numbers 14, afterward destroyed. We see there's some saving going on and there's some destroying going on. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The good news is good news because there's some really bad news. And afterward, as the text says, God destroyed those who did not believe. 
who did not fully trust, who did not give their lives to him. See, God showed his provision, if you will, and his miracles and the unbelief of the people was still present, even though they saw these things in the flesh. Think about Psalm 95, Psalm 95, 9 through 10. The word says this, for 40 years I was grieved with that generation. And I said this, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my capital M ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Think about this, the kids of Israel who lived in unbelief were destroyed. See, God is serious about trusting Him, of believing Him, of taking Him and His Word. And if we are going to truly battle against the enemy, we must believe that God's Word is true. If it's not true, we're all wasting our time. But because it is true, because it is God's Word, We're not wasting our time. Oh no, we have strength. We have confidence. We are able to be overcomers in this life. Hyper victory, as Paul told us there in the New Testament. But then look at verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, again, not a website, but left their own abode. Don't miss this, church. He has reserved. There's a reservation in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. This is somewhat debated in Scripture. But when you look at 2 Peter 2.4 and you look at Genesis 6.2 that the angels rebelled and that they're shackled in chains. See, we know that the enemy himself, Satan, that he rebelled. And we can deduct from Scripture that he took a third of the angels with him. And as the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under the darkness of the judgment of that great day. God is serious about his glory. God is serious about, yes, he has grace and mercy, but he's serious as well. That for those, even yes, angels who say, I'm going to rebel, I'm going to have a stiff neck, I'm going to have a hardened heart. Yes, God says even to those, he says, look, fine, you made your bed, you sleep in it, here's your reservation. And that's not an RSVP that you want to have. The RSVP you want to have is, but being found in Jesus and His righteousness. And as you stand before God on that day, you'll be faultless to stand before the throne. Faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And now as Jude weaves his way even deeper to paint this picture of the depravity, look at verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities represent God's judgment. And the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to the sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Look in Genesis 19. Make a note of that in your notes. They're set forth as an example. So first we see there's these reservations that are being made for this eternal condemnation. And now Jude shows us here that these that run after the flesh and do not run after God and His glory are going to be set forth as an example. Suffering again the vengeance of eternal life. We will all spend eternity somewhere. Where are you going to spend eternity? Are you going to spend eternity with God in His presence, worshiping Him around the throne of grace and mercy? Or will you spend eternity apart from Him, where the utter, utter darkness of rejecting Him will be revealed forever. 
separated eternally to pay the penalty that Christ was willing to pay on your behalf, but you reject it. See, Sodom and Gomorrah sinned sexually, and Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. I pray that's a warning to me, and I pray that's a warning to you, that when we live outside the confines of God's instructions and his guardrails and his bumpers, that when we step outside of those to rebel and say, I don't want to go your way, God. That's not what I want. My flesh hungers for something different. When we step outside those boundaries that are safeguards for you and for me, there will always be a price to pay. And then lastly, verse 8, leading into our verses today to focus on. Verse 8 says this, Likewise, also these dreamers, these deceived men, that convey and carry out the deceptions, defile the flesh, reject authority. See, they want to be in authority. Typically, those who lust for control are the same people whose lives are out of control. And then what do they do? They speak evil of dignitaries because evil is in their hearts and evil is on their lips. So as we launch into the final verses of our text for today, with that being the context and the backdrop and the setup, I want you to write down key number one. Write this down in your notes right now. Key number one. If I am going to battle for the truth, I must remind myself that our God is the God of both grace and wrath. Let me say that again. Key number one. Write this down. You're going to need this today, probably at lunch. Write this down. Key number one. If I'm going to battle for the truth, I must remind myself, I must preach this to myself all day long, that our God is, yes, the God of both grace and wrath. Listen up, listen up, dear ones. On that great day when we will all give an account and we will all give an account if you are outside the blood of Christ, God is not going to punish your sin. Think about this. When we stand face to face on that appointed day and we must each give an account, God is not going to punish my sin and your sin. No, he's going to punish the person who has not given their life to Christ. Yet for those who have given their lives to Christ, and it's real, it's true, there's been a change, there's been a regeneration, you've been born again. When that is real, when that's true, as I attested to earlier, on that day, Jesus is going to stand in your stead. He's going to stand in your gap and say, oh, no, no, wait a minute. I've already covered this son. I've covered this daughter. They are a child of mine. They are adopted into the kingdom of God as my blood, as my righteousness completely atones for their sin. Because think about this. This is the entire point of the gospel. God incarnate the true celebration of Christmas. Christmas, Christmas. That's the whole point. The whole point is that Jesus was born to die. He came as God incarnate with one mission, and that was to go to the cross and conquer the grave. And oh, he did both. And they were victories that were so lopsided. These weren't like victories and wins by the skin of his teeth. He wasn't like, whoo, boy, that was really hard. I'm glad I barely got through that. No, Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, the debt was canceled and the paycheck cleared. And then he went to that grave. And boy, Satan thought he had won, didn't he? I can imagine Satan back on that day. Satan's probably going, whoo, I finally got him now. I finally got that Jesus. But little did Satan know 
Little did Satan know that the greatest victory, the most lopsided victory in the history of the world was unfolding behind the scenes. This was running clock. This was mercy rule. That when Jesus Christ burst forth from that grave, there was no, no reservation about who won. It was completely clear that King Jesus, as he burst forth from the grave, that he completely won the victory. And for you and I that have given our lives to him, we share in the victory as we have victory in Jesus. Amen? But think about this. Christmas really is a beautiful and a potent picture of both God's grace and his wrath. God gave his son that we might live. And he also executed his son on a cruel Roman cross so that we might live and pay the penalty that had to be paid for my sin and your sin as we place our faith and trust in Him. And I know how this works. I know there's those that think, wait a minute, the wrathful God thing, that's Old Testament. He's all about wrath, but we're now in a dispensation of just grace. And there's people out there that believe in the heresy that, well, God's a God of grace, and so you do whatever you want, and He's going to give you a free pass, and you can just go collect 200 as you pass around the monopoly board of life. Well, that's not how this works. Listen how Jesus throws down in the New Testament when he says the following in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14 and 21 through 23. Listen to Jesus as he takes the gloves off. Here's what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, verse 13 of Matthew. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few, don't miss that, who find it. Now look at verse 21 as I skip down and read 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Boy, there is obedience that is required. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now look at 23, the response. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, you who practice sin, you who are depraved, you who are truly not regenerated, you who are not redeemed. It was all external. You did the outward. You did all the things that looked good, but the heart was never radically rescued. That's what he's talking about here. And did you notice this when Jesus was throwing down that he says this? This is what it's like. There's two roads. One is wide. It's somewhat easy. Many, many will go in by it. But destruction waits at the end of that road. But there's a second road. It's the road you want to be on. It's the road that we must be on. It's the narrow way. And narrow is the way that leads to life. It's difficult. Few will find it. And by the way, how much do you take with you when you're walking through the narrow way? Well, you take all your junk with you, don't you? Well, you go home and you go through the garage and the shed out back and you get all your junk that you've been collecting now for 13 decades and you load up your U-Haul and you go, hey, we're going through the narrow way. I'm taking all my stuff with me. No, that's not how this works. Well, the narrow way you get through because it's narrow and we don't need to take anything with us we need to follow Jesus and obey him and trust in his righteousness and what he did as he declared us righteous. We walk by faith and not by sight. And yet as our hearts have been redeemed, we pursue obedience. We pursue pleasing him. We make it our aim to live a life that's holy, to live a life that's a billboard for Jesus. 
so that a lost and dying world looks at us and doesn't even see us. They just see Christ in us, the hope of glory, and they say this eventually is our prayer. I don't know how you get through life because it's so hard, but I know this. I want what you have. What do you have? And we simply respond, his name is Jesus. And yet we make excuses, don't we? Reminds me of the guy who was pulled over by the police. And they had him get out of the car. And as they began to search him, they found some drugs in his pants. And the only thing he could come up with was, these are not my pants. Isn't that just like us? We want to rebel so much. We want to not confess. We want to pass the buck in a spiritual hot potato society that when we are caught, when we are confronted and faced with our sin in the mirror, we don't even want to admit it's our sin. We want to blame our sin on somebody else. This is not going to work on that day. When we stand face to face in judgment, we can't say, hey, these are not my pants. We can't say this is not my sin. No, we're going to have to pay the price unless we are under the righteous royal blood of Jesus. Question for you and me today, have we truly given our lives to Christ? Because if you are going to try to battle this in your own flesh, you and I will be decimated and utterly destroyed by the enemy. There's only one way that we can fight this battle, and that's simply this. The battle belongs to the Lord. We trust Him. We walk by faith. We don't walk by circumstance. We completely trust our God and say, I'm going to trust you as I give my life to you. Now you lead me. You guide me wherever you want to go, and I'll do this, oh God. I will follow you wherever you lead. But yet that's hard, isn't it? And that's the point. Narrow is the way. Difficult is the way. Few will find it. But it leads to life. And I've learned this over the years. That there are very few traffic jams on the narrow way. The narrow way is not crowded. The narrow way is like a Sunday morning in America. If you want to know the best time to drive in America, go out on Sunday morning. And what a sad commentary that is. My dream, my prayer, is that the highways and the roadways be packed with people driving down to the church house. Oh, I got to get down to the church house. Oh, I love the bride of Jesus Christ, the church He's given his life for his bride, his church. Oh, I would love it if every one of us, all the people across our country, would just simply say the same thing. Oh, we got to make an appointment. We got to get to the church house, not to hear from a human preacher, not to hear people singing. Oh, no, not to drink coffee, not to socialize with our friends. No, we want to get down to the church house to encounter this Jesus who is called the Christ. And yet we know that we're battling for the truth. And the enemy is so clever and he's so cunning that he deceives and he deludes. And we're living in a culture right now, a culture right now. We're running to the church house to hear the word of God, to pray, to sing our God's praises. It's something that very few people really hunger for in our day. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. See, Jude, he sets the table so beautifully with all these examples of the apostates and how they were exposed. And he now changes and shifts gears and goes in a different direction when he says this in verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, 
in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not, underline that in your Bible, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So who's Michael? Well, he's the archangel. And it says here in the word of God that in contending with the devil, well, we see that word again, this contending, this opposing, this fighting for, this struggling, there's strife, there's this dispute going on. And he's contending over the body of Moses with the devil. Now we've got to remember this, the devil, what's that mean? Well, the devil is this, he's the diabolos. It's where we get our English word diabolical from. He's the slanderer. He's the false accuser. He's a fallen angel. And he hates God and he hates you as a Christ follower of Jesus. And there was this dispute going on. About what? Well, I alluded to it. About the body of Moses. And again, for time's sake, we're not going to go too deep into this, but write down Deuteronomy chapter 34, 5 through 6, and then also Matthew 17, where you see that Moses appeared in bodily form on the Mount of Transfiguration. And here Jude is going back and he's saying, look, there was this contention going on between Michael the archangel and Satan himself, and they're disputing over the body of Moses. And instead of going face to face, instead of going toe to toe with the enemy, Michael the archangel powerful Michael the archangel says, no, wait a minute. I'm not facing you in my own strength. The Lord rebuke you. Literally, the Lord admonish you deeply, admonish you severely. What a great example that is set forth here by Michael for you and I. As we battle in the flesh, as we grapple in the flesh, as we struggle in the flesh, Don't, don't, under any circumstances, take on the enemy in your own strength. You and I will get utterly destroyed and decimated. And that's why key number two, write it down in your notes, key number two, here it is. If I'm going to battle for the truth, I must battle in the Lord's strength and not my own. Here it is, key number two, write it down, mission critical. If I'm going to battle for the truth, if you made that decision today and say, you know what, the Holy Spirit's speaking to my life, I know I must fight for the truth in my life, in my home, in my business, on my team, in my church, everywhere I go, I know I must battle for the truth. I know I must be a contender, not a pretender. If that's you here today, here's the deal. You must be a person that says, I'm not going to battle in my own strength. I'm going to battle in the Lord's strength. I'm going to trust him as he leads and I follow. And yet again, no matter what you're going through, we all have our junk. We're all going through trials and tribulations and the pains of life to some degree. Every one of us, no one's immune. And yet the enemy will say, psst, hey, psst, over here. Psst, hey, psst, psst, over here for a minute. Take your eyes off Jesus. Over here for just a second. I know you're going through a struggle, but you've got this. You can do this. That person that you're contending with in the flesh. And boy, there's such great contention there and division and discord. You got this. It's their fault. You can do this. And the enemy just plants his lies, his whispers. And that's why we have to, church family, we have to at all costs, understand we're no match for the enemy. No more cultural Christianity. The battle belongs to the Lord. We don't live in a Christian life that is just in name only. We live in a Christian life because we serve the name that's above every name. And as the battle belongs to the Lord, one of the ways that he works in our lives, especially through the difficulties and the trials and all the hurts and the pains of life, is that we partner with someone else in the faith. 
We get a brother or sister to get in the trench and they begin to hold us accountable and we hold them accountable and we run the race together because two are better than one and a threefold strand cannot be easily broken. And as I've learned through men's ministry for many years now, I believe the number one issue that Satan uses in lives of men, yes, even like myself, is to tempt us to be isolated. Boy, if he can just isolate us, to get us to pull back, to get us to cower over in the corner and remove ourselves from godly teaching, remove ourselves from godly influence, remove ourselves from all of those things that are actually going to help us and encourage us in the battle, Satan goes, hey, you can do this by yourself. You'll be fine. And the reality is we won't be fine. We will get utterly crushed as we walk the road alone. Write down Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Write this down. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. So glorious. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Boy, we could preach a hundred sermons on that one. Let us hold fast. Don't bend, don't buckle, don't break. What are we holding fast to? Our hope. What's our hope? Our hope's in Jesus Christ. And how do we do this? Without wavering. We stay steadfast. We're steadfast. We're immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing confidently that even the smallest, smallest task that we do for the Lord in living for Him is never in vain. Because as the writer goes on and says, for he who promised is faithful. Don't you love that? Even when we are faithless, God is ever faithful. And then the writer of Hebrews in verse 24 says this, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking, not abandoning the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some but rather exhorting, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day, capital D, approaching. See, here we are implored and encouraged to wrestle, to contend, fix our eyes upon Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. As the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim, not in your circumstances improving, not in you moving to the gated community you so want to live in, not driving that one car with a special hood ornament on it, not having a certain amount of money in the bank account, not getting the condo by the beach, not finally saying, oh, finally, finally, I finally got my sailboat. That's not what the word says. That song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, so beautifully illustrates the Word of God when it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. See, the writer of Hebrews was saying, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then he says, let us not forsake the assembling together of one another as some are in the habit of doing. The enemy is going to want to isolate you. He's going to say, look, you can do this in your own strength. But the reality is we can do nothing apart from Jesus. We can only accomplish in life what needs to be accomplished for God's glory, for God's praise. As again, he leads and we follow. He's the master. We are the willing servant, not the other way around. We're going to get out of this business of somehow thinking that, hey, come on, Jesus, get in the trunk of my car. I'm going to drag you around town. You're going to bless all my dreams, answer all my prayers so that I can finally gain what I've always wanted in this life. No, no, and more no. We must be in fellowship with one another on a continual habitual basis as we go vertical to God first and rely on his power and his blood and his righteousness of his son and as we encourage one another horizontally the picture of the cross vertical first horizontally second we encourage one another in this battle and we realize that we can't fight this battle alone
Now it's interesting because Jude shifts gears again right here in the Word. Now look at verse 10 as we journey our way down the backside of the mountain. Verse 10, but these, these people, these apostates, they speak evil of whatever they do not know. Isn't that interesting? They speak evil of even what they do not know. Well, that sounds like a lot of people in our culture, doesn't it? Just speaking nonsense and foolishness, and they have no clue of what they're even talking about. That's what happens when you walk in deception and darkness. The wicked stumble, and they do not even know what makes them stumble in the darkness. These evil men do speak evil. Michael the archangel speaks holiness and God-honoring things. And these evil men speak evil. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, not having the spiritual knowledge, again, their foolish hearts are darkened. And look at this, and in these things, they corrupt who? Themselves. See, isn't that the lie from Satan? See, he baits us. Our sinful hearts quickly take the lure. And the reality is this, that as we are trying to please the flesh, as we try to hurt other people to make ourselves feel better, the reality is this, as we live in sin, we're actually corrupting ourselves. Literally, we are destroying ourselves. Anyone wake up today going, man, I can't wait to get up today and go destroy myself. Well, of course you didn't. No one in their right mind would do that. And yet again, that's the lie from the pit of hell. Go do what you want to do is what the enemy says. Satan says, yeah, just go please the flesh. Go live however you want. Satan says, rebel against God. It'll be just fine. It'll be dandy. No, it won't. You are actually in a process, in a system of unwittingly destroying yourself. And the reality of that game that so many people are playing is as they destroy themselves, they're actually destroying a bunch of other people with them. As families, homes, marriages, extended families, teams, businesses, and yes, churches are getting utterly decimated and destroyed because of the enemy and his work in depraved evil hearts as the pride of those hearts have been deceived as they walk with stiff necks and hardened hearts. They corrupt, they destroy themselves and everyone else in their way. And that's why we must cling to the old rugged cross and lay down those trophies, lay down those idols because it's all about God and His glory, not our own. It's no longer meology, it's theology. And that's why key number three, key number three, write it down. Key number three in your notes. Here it is. If I'm going to battle for the truth, I must not speak evil, lest I corrupt myself. Let me say that again. Number three, key number three, if I am going to battle for the truth, I must not speak evil, lest I corrupt myself. Self-corruption is really, if you think about it, dear one, is the result of filling our minds with poison. How do we not fill our minds with poison? There's a simple question. When self-corruption is walking with poison and toxicity in our lives, how do we not do that? Well, we fill our minds with God's truth, what we've been talking about. It's all about the truth of God's word. It's God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of my God stands forever. The word of God is not chained. It goes forth with power. It convicts. It goes down to even the deepest joint and marrow. It gets into our mind, every crevice. It gets into our heart, every nook and cranny. It's the word of God. I can't say this enough. I pray you hear my urgency. I pray you hear my passion. It's the word of God that will set you free today. So what's a good place to start? Well, how about a proverb a day keeps the enemy away? 
A proverb a day keeps the enemy away. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's pretty simple. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Most months have around 31 days. For those that don't, just double up. And if today is the 17th, read the 17th chapter. If tomorrow is the 18th, read the 18th chapter. It's wisdom literature. It's what you and I must feast on. It's a spiritual IV drip that we must have, that we cannot go without. We must fill our minds. We must wash the word over our hearts and our minds and our soul with truth. Because if we're not filling our minds and hearts and souls with truth, we're filling our hearts and minds and souls with poison. And garbage in, garbage out. Read those Proverbs. Drive deep into them. Tie them around your neck. Bind them around your neck. Have them be a frontlet to your eyes. And repeat this every month. You say, wait a minute, I'm going to read the same thing every month? Yes. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to read the 17th this month. And the next month, you're going to read the 17th again. And you're going to look at the 17th and go, wait a minute. Did God put that in there while I was asleep? I don't remember reading that. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will begin to illuminate in your heart. You will begin to leap for joy, sing a new song, have a new skip in your step as you continue to feast on the Word and the wisdom of God's Word. It will protect you. It will guide you. It will encourage you. It will nourish you. It's the Word of God that will set your heart free today. And here's an example. Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10, 18 through 21. A great example about speaking evil. How this applies to Jude. Verse 10. Proverbs 10, 18 through 21. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips. Oops. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. Wow. In the multitude of words, verse 19, don't miss this. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Who wants to be wise today? Anyone want to be wise? Who wants to be a fool? Anyone want to be a fool? He who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Wow, oh wow. It's the word of God. Don't battle in your own strength. Arm up with a spiritual armor. Put on the armor of God. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. As you follow God in the army that he's put you in, the post that he's assigned you to, the designation that he has you at today for such a time as this to redeem the time, you follow him, arm up with the word of God as the sword of the spirit and watch God use you and watch your life be filled with joy and contentment and peace even in the midst of the struggle. Because the enemy hates the Word of God. But the Word of God is the spiritual neospore and anointment that will satisfy your soul forever. Think about our last verse here, verse 11. Verse 11 says this as we bring this in for a landing. Verse 11 of Jude says, Woe to them! Woe to them! Warning, warning, calamity is coming is what that means. Woe to them, exclamation point. Woe to these apostates. Woe to these people who corrupt themselves. Woe to all of them that they go in the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. They go after the strange flesh. Woe to them, woe to them, woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are three examples of apostates. As Jude goes back into time, back into Scripture, he pulls these three examples out, and first he lists Cain. Make a note of Genesis chapter 4, Cain. The way of jealousy, the way of hatred, because what? Cain rebelled in his sacrifice, and he then led others into sin. How about number two, Balaam? 
Write down Numbers chapter 22 to 25 and then also chapter 31. Balaam compromised everything for greed. So we got Cain who's jealous, and jealousy will lead to great, great sin. We got Balaam, number two, who compromised everything for greed. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of power and the hunger and the thirst, the greed that so easily ensnares us. Woe to them. But how about number three in the list, Korah? Write down number 16. See, Korah rejected God's leaders, Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were appointed by God, and Korah said, nope, I want to rebel. I'm going to have a stiff neck, a hardened heart, a brazen forehead. I'm going to try to undermine all that they're doing, and so discord. And the reality is these are three examples listed. That when you name those three names, you could simply say three words. Woe to them. Woe to them. Destruction is coming. One theologian said it like this and said it so well. These three men came from quite different backgrounds. Cain was a farmer. Balaam was a prophet. And Korah was a leader in Israel. Apostasy is never confined to one group of people. There are apostates in the pulpit, in the palace, and yes, in the poorhouse. End quote. Wow. Woe to them. Warning, warning, warning. Flashing lights and sirens are going off everywhere. Woe to those right now who are listening, that are walking in delusion and deception. This is not going to turn out well. Because Jude says they perished. Literally, in the original language, to put an end to entirely. Great ruin to render absolutely useless. Woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These same people that Jude is alluding to, he gives the Old Testament references, and the reality is this, these same people perished. They came to an utter end. There was no more. They were rendered useless. Jude is saying, woe to them. And today he's saying, woe to us. Don't go down that path is what he's saying. And don't battle Satan on your own. Because the destruction and the opposition you will face will be way too much for you and your own fleshly strength. Write down key number four, our last key. Here it is, key number four. Key number four. If I'm going to battle for the truth, I must obey the warning in this verse to not be jealous to not hate, to not be greedy, and to not reject God's appointed leaders. Let me say that again, key number four. If I'm going to battle for the truth, I must obey the warning. Woe to them that's in this verse to not be jealous, to not hate, to not be greedy, and to not reject God's appointed leaders. And yet even in thinking of that, we also must be on our guard and be alerted when we're around apostates in our day who are exhibiting these characteristics. And how will you know what's false if you first don't know what's true? You will be able to spot these people like a sore thumb sticking out of nowhere when you are deep in the Word, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, when you're walking with God and you're not walking in the flesh, these people that are haters of God, that they despise Jesus, they've rejected Him and their covert operatives for the enemy, they will begin to stick up out of the ground. And you will easily spot them as you're walking in truth and they're walking in deception. 
See, disobedience to God quenches the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and quenches God's blessing in your life as well. Don't miss that. Disobedience to God quenches the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and it also quenches God's blessing in your life as well. And in case you've already forgotten, just simply go back up to verses 5 and 8 of Jude. The Holy Spirit is being quenched and God's blessing is no more. You ask, okay, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit. I'm hearing the Word. So what do I do? Well, here's one suggestion. Dive deep, head first into Psalm 91, verse 1. Dive deep in there. Psalm 91, verse 1. Here it is. He who dwells, remains in, inhabits in the secret place, the hiding place of the Most High, shall abide, shall lodge, shall remain, I love this, under the shadow, under the shade, and the protection of the Almighty. Boy, this seems so simple in theory, doesn't it? But man, we're in this war where we want the glory, where we want the praise, where we want to be the deal, and we don't want to hide under any shadow, do we? And yet the shadow is where the protection is. The shadow is where the fiery darts will be quenched by the shield of faith. The shadow is where there's rest and healing and comfort and joy and contentment and peace. It's the shadow of the Most High Almighty God. So as we journey from this point forward, here's your takeaway question. Takeaway question. Here it is. Am I attempting to battle through life in my own strength? Here it is, our takeaway question for today. Am I attempting to battle through life in my own strength? That's a fool's errand. That's vanity, vanity. All is vanity. If you are trying to battle through life in your own strength, you are on a fool's errand. But here's your action step that we must live by at all costs. Here it is. Write it down. I will not live in isolation, but will. But will surround myself with God-centered people. Let me remind all of us that isolation is the enemy's playground. This is where he does his best work. It is a playground. It's an amusement park from the enemy. Isolation is. He's got all the rides, all the games. Man, you go up and have a great time, be isolated, and he's going to literally just such utterly crush you and destroy you that the game's going to be over. Don't play on the enemy's playground. Get on the Lord's battleground. Oh, the Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life really is a battleground. The Christian life is a fight, not a fashion show. And I pray right now as the Holy Spirit speaks to my life and your life, I pray that you will be on God's page. I pray that you will be on the narrow road because as Robert Murray McShane once said, and he said it so beautifully when he said these words, learn much of the Lord Jesus for every look at yourself Take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. And all God's people said amen as we rest in our glorious living hope who's not dead, but he's fully alive. Oh, woe to those who are walking in darkness. And yet for those today who are walking in freedom and joy and victory in the blood of Jesus Christ, don't take on the enemy in your own strength. Go through the Lord Jesus as you trust Him, as you walk by faith and not by sight. Watch Him make a way where there seems to be no way because we know this, as Hudson Taylor once said, God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. And as martyr missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. When you and I are truly in Christ, we've been sealed for the day of redemption. 
Trust Him and watch Him work as you give Him the consequences of your obedience to following Him all the days of your life. Amen? Father, we love You and we give this time to You. God, I pray that You have been glorified. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart have been acceptable to You alone, my rock and my redeemer. To You be the praise. To You be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.